Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. And now we're going to welcome none other than Mr. Izzard. Good morning to you all. Now then, I, you, may, you may have spotted me um, during the worship having a quick look around. Because I wanted to kind of gauge the level of praise and worship in the room. It kind of like an Ofsted. Oh dear, oh dear, the teachers among you, your hearts have just dropped into your boots, haven't they? Yeah, okay, well I'll give you the results of my Ofsted view a bit later on as we go through this morning's talk. So just like keep you on edge, as it were. So we've got this wonderful, amazing, incredible series, Discovering the Psalms and Growing Room. Are you growing? Is God speaking into your life? You see, as a church, as church leaders, we want to see growth. Nobody wants to be in a church that's not growing. Do you want to be in a church that's not growing? Do you want to be in a church that's withering and dying and getting old and crotchety? No, you don't, do you, really? And to grow, you need nutrients. And have you been getting your five a day? (coughs) Have you been raised to the challenge and doing your five psalms? And how's that going for you? You see, the psalms are God's songs for all occasions. The good, the bad, and the really, really ugly parts of life. You see, we don't get a free pass as God's people. We don't dodge suffering, we don't dodge trials, we don't dodge the pains of life. They come at us. But in the Psalms, we have these amazing tools where we can use those Psalms to express what we're really feeling. You see, God wanted us to be authentic. He wanted us to be real. He wanted us to tell him when we're feeling really, really, really fed up. I nearly used another word there, but I very quickly corrected my thinking. When we're really down, when we're really, really feeling that life is just on top of us, we can go to the Psalms, we can express our deepest feelings, we can let off steam. But also then, as we read through the Psalms, it's a reminder to us of God's faithfulness and goodness. And that's important. What's your purpose? Why were you made? Why are you here? What's the secret of life? Well, there's this thing called the Westminster Catechism. And it's a thing they use with children and young people. And it's a series of questions and answers. And you learn the questions and you learn the answers and you learn the truth of God's word. You learn about who God is. 
And the first question is, what is the chief end of man? Why are we here? What's it all about? And the chief end of man, evidently, is that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love that answer because it's in two bits. We're here to glorify God because God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He is good and his love endures. But the second half of this, because they really understood this, is God doesn't want us just to be robots. He doesn't want us to praise him just because we have to. He wants us to praise him and worship him because we want to. And as a consequence of that, we're told that we not only glorify and worship God, but we get to enjoy him. Now, did you think that you could enjoy God? That scary, judgmental, horrible person up in the sky that tells us we're doing everything wrong? Or do you see him as your heavenly father, the one who loves you and cares for you, wants the best for you, is for you and not against you? We get to enjoy God forever. And in the scriptures it says, no eye has seen, nor mind has conceived what God has in store for those that love him. There is an amazing experience that goes on and on and on and on and on for those that love God, that worship him. Now, I have to say, uh, Joel was up here last week and he was preaching on the Psalms and he was preaching on lamenting, but then he strayed into praising. Did you notice that? Kind of like, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not sure what I'm going to say next week. Because he kind of said it all. But anyway, I thought we'd kind of just reprise a little bit of what Joel talked about. And I found a few more words for us to um, do. Now, this is the Ofsted part of this talk. Okay? How we get through the next few minutes will rate you as either outstanding good, or in need of desperate attention, okay? (laughs) Shabak, a loud shout of praise, expressing confidence in God. So give me a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow, that's not bad. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it. Let's shabak God, shall we, this morning? Fantastic. (coughs) We did a a bit of baracking last week. Some people got down on their knees, didn't they, at the end of the service. And that came with a cost. Because what do you think about people that come and kneel in church? What do you think about it? Does it embarrass you? Or not? Can you kneel? I know some of you, kneeling is difficult. The bones don't do quite what they used to do when they were younger. You definitely miss your knees when they're gone. Maybe at the end of this service, you might want to be to Barak, God, and bless him and kneel in humility. Right, let's see if we can do some yada. Okay? All you've got to do is this. Now, it's not difficult. Come on, guys. This is an Ofsted. Okay? Oh, good. I can see we're improving. 
Fantastic. We're yardering God. Okay? Come on, guys down there. Oh, you're so embarrassing. Oh, come on, Chris. That's it. Fantastic. That's it. Don't be afraid. Now, you see, you've done that. Okay? Now we're going to do some tawdah. Now, the problem is you've got to go from there to here. Okay? Let's get those arms up. Let's lift them up. Oh, fantastic. Oh, you should get a picture of this. This is amazing. (laughs) I have never seen so many arms raised in church. This is absolutely incredible. Yay, God. Fantastic. We're getting there. (coughs) Tehillah. Now, we've done some Tehillah this morning because we sung some scriptures in the worship song that Mark led us through this morning. Right. Let's do some Taka. Let's, Let's give God a clap. Because he's good. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, you're doing good. You're off stead passing. Now, <coughs> Hala. <coughs> now, I, I had a clip I was going to play, but the quality of it was so poor. Now, I really, I really couldn't face doing it. Um, <coughs> but it was a clip of um, England at Twickenham. They were playing the All Blacks. You were there. And what happened? We stood up and cheered. You did. But what happened when they did the haka? Oh, we all sang Swing Low, Sweet Chariots. And they drowned out the New Zealand team. <laughs> they absolutely knocked it out of the park, didn't they? They knocked it out of the park. And when I go and see my football team <clears throat> and we're getting behind them, it's just amazing. And then I come into church and I see the Christians... And I think, crumbs. Crumbs. I've seen more people passionate about Tottenham Hotspurs than I have about Jesus. Or Arsenal, or Manchester United, or whatever your team is. I really don't care. You know, we need to be extravagant in our praise and in our worship. There's a story of a Christian leader. Very shy, very reserved. He felt God was saying to him, you've really got to get this worship stuff right. So he came into the worship space every night for a number of months. And he put worship on and he started very slowly to kind of lift his hands and then move his feet. And then he started to dance and worship God. He said it was the most amazing time. He met with God in a real way. Zamar, make music, sing to the Lord. So Mark was zamaring on his guitar this morning. Did you see that? Ah. Now, I have to say, I think we have gone backwards in the next expression of worship, which is our kahara. What is kahara? It's dance. Who likes dancing? Yeah, a number of people like dancing. I once started a worship session with the BG song Coming Alive. Because the feet were kind of leaden. Are your feet leaden and fixed to the floor? Or do you really feel that you can dance? Let's have a look at a couple of aspects of Karah, shall we? Now, the first one is a bit of a shock. Because David 
is dancing before the Lord. The ark of the had been stolen by the Philistines and they were in the process of getting it back. And they were moving it. They were going to move it to Jerusalem. <coughs> David had this great plan. He was going to put on the worship service to end all worship services. <coughs> he was dancing. There were symbols. There were noise. It was a fantastic situation. There was one small problem. They put the ark on a cart. And as the cart's going along, it kind of does this. <coughs> and one of the guys puts his hand out to steady it. Now, you think that's a good thing, don't you? I mean, nobody wants to see the ark. In... And yet the wrath of God strikes this guy dead. And David, boy, killer worship service. That's the way to do it, Mark. Just get somebody to drop dead. That'll do it. That'll do it every time. And it says, it goes on to say that David was absolutely scared. He was afraid. He was terrified. How could he bring the, the ark to Jerusalem if this is how God was going to behave? But then he did some research. And he found out that they'd been doing it wrong. That the ark was meant to be carried with poles. And there's a very important point here. And you can't worship if you're disobedient. If you come to a place of worship and you're not right with God, if you're not walking with God, if you're disobedient in some way before God, then God does not accept your worship. Because in God's eyes, obedience sits above worship. Now we put worship up there and quite rightly so. But God, in his word, says, you know what? You've got to do the right thing. You've got to be walking with me in the right way. And then your worship is acceptable. And this is the other story, because once he gets the, the, the process right, and he's bringing the ark into Jerusalem, David is doing the most crazy thing ever. Now, who likes dad dancing? Anybody a dad in the room? Right. Do you like dancing? You're dad dancing. Now, David's in his 30s now, and I think he's got kids, and he's dad dancing. He's dad dancing before the Lord with all that amazing stuff going on. Okay? Oh, my goodness. Couldn't you just stand up for me for a minute? Because we're doing an Ofsted. You're doing quite well. Now, if you can't stand up, don't, don't, don't stress it. Now... Can you take a leg and just go like this? Just, just shake it a bit. Just shake it about a bit. Ah, shake the other one. Yeah, we're going to do the okie-cokie in a minute, yeah. That's it. Let's kind of do a bit of arms, okay. And, well, let's see if we can get it. Come on, get a, bit, get a movement in. That's it. Bit. That's it, I can see. Oh, come on, let's get our KR going before the Lord. And David danced before God. But he had a wife. You can sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is embarrassing you. Um, but his wife looked out the window and she saw him and she said, boy, that dad dancing's awful. But you know, David didn't care. Because he was dancing to an audience of one. When you come into worship, are you worried about what the person is thinking about you who's sitting next to you? Take a lesson from David and say, 
stuff them, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Amazing God who made all things. The God who says he loves me. The God who says I'm his child. The God who wants to give me good things. The God who is always good. He is amazing. And I want to express how amazing he is in my worship. Is that how you come in on a Sunday morning? Or is it, oh, the worship band's too loud again. (laughs) Didn't sing the songs I wanted to sing. Oh, my goodness gracious me. we just got to get past that, haven't we? Because God is worth far more than that. Got to get past our moaning and complaining. Okay, right, now this is the last test for you, then you can all relax and enjoy the rest of the sermon. Can you stand up again, please? Now, we're going we're gonna to read this psalm. It's quite simple, isn't it? So what does the first line say? Shout. Whoa, some of you are getting it. Whoa, it's obviously working. Right, so the first word is shout. So how are we going to say that? Shout. No. We're going to say the first line together. Ready? One, two, three. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Wow. That's amazing. And then what we're going to do? Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Wow, yeah, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. Amen. Amen. Wow, sit down. You did well. Right, I think you're going to get an excellent this morning. So what do we learn about David? You see, David could dance before the Lord to an audience of one. Because he built his life on praise and worship. He spent those times out watching over the sheep, praising God, writing praise songs, worshipping, getting to know the God who is the God of Israel, the true and living God. And when the lion and the bear came to attack the sheep, he found that in his praise and worship, a strength rose up in him to combat those difficulties. And that's why he was able to stand before Goliath, because I don't come just on my own. I come with the living God, and you are in trouble. And he becomes a hero. Shortly after that, he's anointed to be the future king. But the road to kingship was not an easy one, because shortly after that, he becomes a fugitive. Saul tries to kill him. David has to flee for his life. He faces rejection. He gathers together a motley crew, the misfits, the down and outs, the rejected of society, and he gathers them together. 
And they go down to a town that's being attacked by the Philistines, and he sets that town free. And then rumour has it that Saul's coming, so he goes and asks God, he says, God, is Saul coming? And will these people give me up? And God says, yes, he is coming, and yes, they will. Rejection again. Disappointment. He flees again. Eventually, he has to leave Israel and go and live with the Philistines, who are the enemy of Israel, because it's the only safe place to be. And then there's a big battle brewing, and the Philistines are going to go out to war against the Israelites. And David says, I'll come and I'll fight with you. And they say, no, we don't want you. Rejection again. Disappointment. So they go back to the town which they're based in, and as they get back to the town, they find it's being ransacked. All the wives and the children, the possessions have been taken away. And the Bible says that David's men wanted to stone him. Now, that's a bad day at the office, you know? As a pastor, I don't think I've ever had anybody come and say they want to stone me. Well, they never said it anyway. (laughs) But the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, he didn't just do that. Because his life was built on praise and worship, because he had this relationship with God, he was able to draw on something beyond himself. And he has a conversation with God about what he should do. Now, for me, I went once through a season of disappointment. I had some things that I think God wanted us to do, and it was just like every way we turned, the road seemed to be blocked. Doors seemed to be shutting. And it all culminated on one day where I was clearly thinking that we're on the right track, we're really on on our way forward, we're really going forward with this, and I get a whole stream of communications that just like were, ugh. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had that sense of disappointment? Everything's against you? Nothing's going your way? Well, I have to say, what did I decide at that point? Well, I decided that our patio needed cleaning. So I went and got the power hose, and I plugged it in. And I'm really thinking, I am so disappointed, I am so fed up, I am so down, I am so, well, is, what are you doing, God? Because you said that we should do this, and now we can't do this, and what on earth is going on? And I'm power hosing. I mean, those stones, I get out real pounding. And as I'm doing that, it's like God says to me, remember the story of David? Oh, yeah. He's found strength into Lord his God. So there I am, and I'm pounding this stuff, and I'm praising, and I'm praying, and I'm worshipping. And after half an hour, everything's changed in me, you know, because I'd met with God. And there I am standing, covered head to foot in muck. <laughs> Literally, I am telling you, there wasn't a place on me that wasn't covered in some kind of horrible, mucky, mossy dirt. But hey, did I care? No. Because I found one of the secrets of following the living God. That when we look to our problems, we kind of diminish God. But when we look to our big God, even the biggest of our problems shrinks. Because God is amazing. For God is good, and his love endures forever. 
God is always good. He doesn't say on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays I'm good, but look out on Tuesdays and Thursdays because I'm not good and things will not go well for you. So don't walk under a ladder on a Tuesday because something bad is going to happen to you. You see, what we need is daily choices. And I want to share something with you now that if you want to grow to be a mature Christian who's strong in the Lord, if you follow what I tell you to do in the next few minutes, it will transform your life. It starts with the small things. When the little things go wrong, when you can't find the parking space, even though you've prayed to God for one, we often use that, don't we? Or when something breaks, or something doesn't go quite right, give thanks. Find something to give thanks for. Look to God and say, thank you, Lord, that I actually woke up this morning. Thank you, Lord, that my kidneys are working. Thank you, Lord, that I had enough to eat. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you, Lord, and be thankful. And start to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. Because when we thank God, when we're being thankful, we start focusing on him and not on the thing that's going wrong. You see, we have to align ourselves with God and his thinking. And even though something's gone wrong, he's not dismayed. He's not discouraged. He's not disappointed. You see, God's kingdom is a place where thanks and praise are happening all the time. And we're part of the kingdom of God, aren't we? Are we? Oh, come on, you're doing so well earlier on, aren't you? Yes, good, fantastic. So Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now he doesn't say thank, give thanks for everything that's happening to you, but in it, find something to thank God for. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You see, they shape your life. They shape your character. Because you're either going to end up old, whingy and moany. Because that's how a lot of people end up, isn't it? Or you're going to end up with a beautiful smile. And a heart that's really in touch with God. Because you've got a heart that's full of thankfulness and praise and rejoicing. And this is not about personality. This is for every one of us. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or whatever it is in between. God is good. And we should practice the discipline of thanksgiving. And I tell you, that more than anything else will set you free. It will help you engage in worshipping God. You know, when you're really thankful, you can dance. When you're really thankful, you can praise. When you're really thankful, you can worship. And thanksgiving leads to rejoicing. You notice that? And when you're rejoicing, wow, something really changes. Because when I was worshipping God with my palos, God came upon me and I started to rejoice. What the heck? It doesn't really matter. Because God is good and he loves me. 
And in the midst of the storms of life, if you can sit down for a moment and find something to start thanking God for, then I will tell you that it will begin to change you. The circumstances may not change around you, but what God does in his amazing way is he changes us. And we grow in character, in maturity. Now, where do we start with this thankfulness stuff? Well, for me, I always look back on my history with God. Because I know that there have been times in my life when God has been so close to me, it's like almost I could touch him. And you bring those times into your memory and you begin to thank him again for his goodness. And if you want to be naturally supernatural, you want to be living as children of God, you want to be releasing the kingdom of God into your everyday life, then start here with thanksgiving, rejoicing and praise. Because when you do that, you're connected to God himself because he loves it when we get full of thanksgiving, rejoicing and praise. You see, when life takes a downturn, that's when the extent of our maturity, the extent of our Christ-likeness is really tested. Our faith is tested. Now, God doesn't set us up to fail because he's good. But he does set us up to grow. And sometimes he uses failure to grow. There was this great story of this guy who worked for IBM. And they were on a project. And he had some decisions to make. And they had a pretty tricky decision to make. So he made the decision. But the decision cost IBM $10 million. Because he got it wrong. And he goes into his boss and he's, he says, sorry, boss, I think I just lost us $10 million. Now, he was fully expecting that, you know, clear your desk, you're out of here. Okay? So the boss said, okay. So what did you learn from that? So he said, well, this is what I learned. So he said, are you going to sack me? He said, No. You've just had a $10 million learning experience. Why would I want to sack you? (laughs) You see, God sometimes uses failure to teach us. Strong Christians don't come that way by accident. Behind each person, there is a story. And it often includes pain, trials, failures, hardship. But they've learned along the way that God is trustworthy that God is good, that God can bring goodness out of any situation, that he provides for us. My journey includes all of those. Many times I've had to meet with God. When the going gets tough, the Christian gets remembering. The Christian gets thanking. The Christian gets rejoicing. The Christian gets praising. Then as God directs, gets up and keeps on going. Because that's what it is to follow the God. Let's look at a couple of examples where all this comes into context. Now this is a guy called Jehoshaphat. Anybody know Jehoshaphat? Jumping Jehoshaphats, they used to say when I was younger. He was a king of Israel. And uh, for him, there was a bit of a problem. There's a huge army coming towards Jerusalem, 
The king and all the people are alarmed. So the king calls for a fast and he prays to God, crying out for rescue. And the spirit of God falls upon one of the singers. Okay? And he says, don't worry. And I love the fact that we sang this this morning. The battle's not yours. It belongs to the Lord. Don't worry about it. Have faith. Your God will come through for you. So, what do they do? I like this bit because it always thinks to me that if we ever go out on a bit of an army thing as Christians, we're going to put Mark and the worship band at the front. Okay? They're going to be out there going ahead with their instruments, with their singers, with all their songs, and they're going to be praising God, and we're going to be walking along behind. Okay? And so when the battle starts, we know who the first people are going to get it, don't we? (laughs) That's okay, Mark. However, if you read this story carefully, Jehoshaphat consults the people and they put on this whole thing about people to sing and praise the living God, to worship God, because what's going to happen now is something supernatural. Because as we praise and worship God and we rejoice and we do all that stuff, what happens is we get closer to heaven, heaven gets closer to us. God starts to move and he says, hey, you guys, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm not against you. And by the way, you're not going to have to draw a sword. You're not going to have to fire an arrow. Because when you get there, they're all going to be dead. Because God can do stuff like that. And if you've got something that's really actually a roadblock for you in your life, then start thanking God, start worshipping him, start praising him, start rejoicing in his goodness. And you never know, you may not even have to lift a finger. Because God might just go out the way. Here's the way. I've made a way where there didn't seem to be a way. I will make a way for you. Victory was won. And they didn't have to draw a sword or fire an arrow. And the worship team was safe. But they were instrumental in bringing heaven to earth. They were instrumental in releasing the supernatural into the midst of that situation. So that's an Old Testament example. So let's turn to the New Testament and see what happens there. This is Acts 16, and Paul's in Philippi, and he's spreading the gospel. He's going about kingdom business, and he encounters a female slave. Now, she's being used by some unscrupulous men to make money for her demonic, demonic, by using her demonic gift. Now, Paul puts up for this for a while, and then obviously it really, 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 really gets to him. And there's times when we, have, we put up with things for a while, and then God says, now is the time to do something about that. Release the kingdom power. Release the supernatural into these circumstances. And Paul reacts. Are we okay there? Good. And Paul reacts. And he casts out the demon. And these guys lose their, lose their livelihood. And then it gets ugly. Now, have you noticed that actually stepping out for Jesus isn't always fun? Stepping out for Jesus and taking a risk means that you risk rejection. You risk your reputation. Just like, you know, I'll tell you what, you get up and dance in church next week. 
You risk your reputation. Sorry, don't, <laughs> don't get distracted. You risk abuse and physical punishment. But you know, the kingdom is still advancing. And I don't know what Paul thought about the fact that he'd done something for the kingdom, he'd released this slave girl, and suddenly they're set upon by a mob. And even worse, the authorities join in. So they get beaten up. and get beaten with rods. And they get thrown in prison. And then they throw a pity party and start complaining about how bad God is. How could God allow this to happen? This is a terrible situation. Where was God? Was he asleep? Didn't he see? Didn't he care? Well, no, they didn't do that, did they? You see, because they knew that Jesus said, you know, count it all joy when people persecute you and come against you for my name's sake. So what did they do? Well, we've got to count it all joy. Well, you better start a worship service. Maybe they didn't have a four-piece band or even a six-piece band. But they had some, some songs they could sing. And they started singing. And as they started singing, I think they were praising God. I think they were worshipping. And as they started to worship, they started to rejoice. And as they started that, what happened was, hey, heaven opened up. And there was a connection now between them and heaven. And God says, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do something amazing. Now, in the past, God sent angels. Now, I thought an angel would be pretty cool, wouldn't you? Cool. Okay. But on this occasion, God says, no, let's go big. Let's go large. Let's just kind of move out of the box. Because I've done the angel thing, and they'll think about an angel, and that's what they're expecting. Let's not do that. Let's do something they're not expecting. Let's send an earthquake. Let's rock the jail. Jailhouse rock. I'm sure that's where that song came from. You know, it's in the Bible. You know, God is very relevant. So he shakes the place. Not only did he shake the place, but miraculously and supernaturally, all the chains fell off all the prisoners. And all the doors fly open. Oh my goodness, the jailer's in real trouble now. Because if you lost a prisoner, well, that was it for you, mate. Jailer toast. That's what's coming down the road. He rushes in. But Paul says, hey, don't worry, we're all here. God's good. He's just shaking the place a bit. And what goes on to happen? Oh, what happened? Oh, gosh. Oh, how did that happen? Okay, I don't know. Uh, I must have even got excited. The jailer becomes a Christian, gets baptized, him and all his family. Oh, I think we've lost some slides along the way. Okay, never mind. Okay, we've lost that one. It's not there. Okay. Anyway, he becomes saved. So to sum up, thanksgiving leads to rejoicing. Rejoicing leads to praise. Praise releases God's kingdom power. Praise also releases joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when we're facing difficulty and trials and tribulations, you need strength. And it's in rejoicing and in thanksgiving and in praise that we become more than overcomers, we become more than conquerors, we become the people of the living God who carry his presence wherever we go. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>